welcome back. Welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. Our guiding principle is to make better shooters, and we're here to talk about everything rimfire as well as centerfire. We've got a really good thing going on today. It hasn't been that long uh, since we've had a podcast, and, and I feel like that this is an interval we should have. We should be putting out more of these. But I'm here again with Dave Thomas. How are you doing, Dave? Hey, Jacob. What's going on? Yeah, we're uh, now. I'm kind of getting a, a we're getting a better schedule now. So hopefully, you know, weekly or pretty close. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good, man. I'm I'm really I'm really excited about it. But uh, we had a we have a again we have our our training topics, um, and then we you know go in and talk about other stuff uh, that are going on in the industry. But the uh, training topic we've got a we've got a special guest. We'll bring him in here in just a minute. But a couple of things I wanted to talk about on the last. Um, accuracy podcast we were talking there was a question that had come in about spin drift with the 22 and i had made you know we, me and david talked about it you know that it gets lost in the wind and everything else but i had made the comment that if there is anyone out there anyone out there that you know has different information or had a different experience that i really wanted to know about it well fortunately someone did come in and they were talking to talking to me about uh shooting up in um, upper plain state and they have an area that they shoot that's down a, a pipeline right away, which basically means you got trees on both sides of it. And then at sometimes during the year, uh, they have uh, no wind at all. Mm-hmm. And then again, it's by the it's blocked by the trees. And shooting the twenty two out to four hundred and forty yards, he said that they definitely see it. He's not the only one that's seen it. Other people have seen it. So, like I said, if I've been proven wrong, that's fine. Um, Frank was talking uh, on one of his podcasts, you know, about the twenty two. You know, basically the 400 is basically equivalent of a mile. Uh, it's pretty far. Fire. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you know, if that, if that's true, that kind of holds in with what I've seen. Cause like I said, I've seen spin drift at, at a mile before shooting in Colorado. And so we never really, you know, said spin drift wasn't real. It's just that at those closer ranges, it's hard to see. But again, 440 yards is a pretty fur piece down the road for a 22 long rifle. And I'm sorry, I'm messing with one of these Leupold Mark V HD scopes that Leupold supplied for the Voodoo 22s, and I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Yeah, they're pretty nice. Rate, yeah, they are. They are pretty nice. But at any rate, uh, I just wanted to talk about that. A couple other topics we'll get into uh, a little bit later, you know, about some things that are upcoming. Uh, there's been floated about um, getting all the podcasts together. We'll talk about that in, at another time. But we have been we also put out a request who would you like to hear on the podcast mm-hmm. so a really 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 good friend of mine Brett, that's over at uh law enforcement officer out of fort lauderdale um he sent me a list and so we're huh. going to to get all the people on that list to come in and and uh talk to you on the podcast with us at the very top of his list was lindy sisk lindy sisk of rifles only how are you doing lindy i'm doing great jacob how are you doing wonderful hey man i can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to visit with us uh here at the rifles only accuracy podcast you know you and i work together for a lot of years and we've done a lot of stuff together and uh it is it, it is overdue to have you on the podcast with us well thank you it's funny that you mentioned how long we've been working today because the first class that i ever helped you with was in january of 2004 and that was a class for the National Nuclear Security Administration that Charles Tate Moots was in, and he retired today after 30 years of law enforcement. Wow, congrats to him. Yeah, made it to the end, man. Uh, everybody's looking to retire now. 
Yeah, well, congrats to Tate. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, that he's, he's getting out of that mess. So good for him. Good for him. That's amazing. That's been a lot of years ago, man. 17 and change. 17 and change. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, Lindy, um, one of the things, I mean, I, we, we have a lot of questions for you, but one of the things that I wanted to, to get you to uh, kind of illuminate us about, uh, we've had something going on in Texas lately. Apparently, uh, the right to constitutional carry is sitting on Greg Abbott's desk. What can you tell us about that? How did that happen? How, wh- how do we get to this point? Well, there had been a lot of constitutional uh, carry bills introduced in the Texas legislature. Uh, many people may not know that the Texas legislature only meets for 140 days every other year in odd number of years, but none of them had ever made it to a floor vote. And this one, this bill, HB 1927, originated in the Texas House of Representatives. Uh, after some amendments, it got uh, sent over to the Texas Senate, and uh, eventually they got a conference committee together to iron out the differences between the two bills, and it now sits on the governor's desk. And it basically allows anyone who is not legally prohibited from owning a handgun who's at least 21 years old to carry that handgun any place where anyone, for example, with a Texas license to carry would be permitted to carry a handgun without any background check or going through the Texas license to carry course. Wow. Okay. So that means that, that's kind of going back to the original language of the second amendment. Exactly. And okay. the original bill that was introduced in the house restricted that to people who are residents in Texas, but that provision was, re, was removed. So that also means that anyone who comes into Texas from another state, uh, and take advantage of that provision as well. Hmm. That's right. interesting. Go ahead, Dave. No, I just said that's interesting. I had I, I've been reading about it, but I haven't read all the specific provisions. Okay. Well, I know that um, I was reading something about it, and they were saying that uh, some of the groups that weren't really too excited about it were some law enforcement groups. Um, really? Uh, you got any, David? Um. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure why that is. I mean, um, I don't have an issue. I mean, if you're allowed to legally have the weapon, I don't, there's not, in my opinion, there's not much of a difference, um, between having the license and not, I mean, they do say, you know, the license requires some training or whatnot, but it's, it's still, it's minimal. So, you know, it's, if somebody just wants to take the very minimum, uh, course for a carry or what you used to have to do for a carry, I don't think there's a, a, a big enough difference that I'm worried about it as law enforcement. Now, I don't know how the state stuff does on the federal level. I don't know anyone. That, like when I run a, a check or whatnot, I don't know if they have a, a carry permit or not. Now, Texas with the DPS and other places, they, they may actually get an alert. So maybe it does give them a little small heads up that there's a, a weapon in the vehicle but or or on the person. But at the same time, I mean, I just assumed everybody's armed and act accordingly. Okay. One of the the provisions in the bill, I've always had some problems with the Texas license to carry course. Uh, Part of it is not really training. It's education on when you may or may not 
legally use lethal force, and that's as far as it goes. And one of the provisions of this new bill requires the Texas Department of Public Safety to develop an online training course that will basically cover all of the material that was in the Texas License to Carry course. The other part of it that involves actually handling a firearm is a very perfunctory and simple qualification course, and it's not training at all. Mm -hmm. So I don't see how we have lost anything uh, potentially, and we may potentially gain from this bill because it may be that people decide to carry now and they think, well, maybe I better go get some actual training in how to use a firearm. And those Texas licensed to carry instructors uh, will be able to provide that function as well. Yeah, that's a better way of saying it than I did. I didn't really want to talk down too bad about it. But like you said, it's more of a, I don't know if I'd consider it training. So I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to, we're losing much. And, and you make a very good point that, that we might actually be gaining. And back on the law enforcement side, like I said, I, I mean, I'm not sure why anybody would really oppose that on the law enforcement side. I mean, if somebody, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure on that one. I don't, I don't have an issue with it. Like I said, I just, uh, I approach every situation and assume that that person may be armed and I, you know, just, uh, work it out. One of the sheriffs, uh, from West Texas testifying, uh, in favor of the bill before the Senate committee said this, he said, I, I'm responsible for a very large county, and we had very few deputies on the road So, at any one time. So basically, if you have a problem in my county, you're on your own. And that's why I'm in favor of this bill, because I want citizens to be able to go armed wherever they can. And that's true in the county. I live in Kamau County, uh, a county with 140,000 people, and there are 13 sheriff's deputies on the road on any one shift. So basically, out here in the western part of the county, once we're outside of New Bothell, we're on our own, too. No, that's... Yeah, that, you know, go ahead. Start to think about, you know, what's going on with that. You know, I was, I was reading a, an article in, in uh, on the internet today, and it was... I forget what newspaper it came out of, but it was, uh, you know, they all this fear about, you know, okay, now it's going to become the Wild West, like this has never been done. But I think there's there's over 20 other states that have constitutional carry. I've, I've been and trained, uh, you know, trained precision rifle in some of those states, you know, just visiting with the, the local residents there. And, you know, the thing about it is, is um, you know, I don't think that just by having, I think more guns create a more polite society because I think I'd be less likely to wise off to someone or, you know, try to, you know, take advantage of someone. It not, I mean, what if they pull out a gun and shoot me right in the face? You know, I mean, it's, it's like, I don't think that these, these fears that people are talking about are very well founded. Well, those were those kinds of fears were expressed when Texas originally passed the. Uh, at that time, it was called a concealed handgun license back in 1995. That mm-hmm. there would be blood in the streets, and it just never happened. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, and I don't think this is different. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, something that Lindy touched on, and I, I just I know most of our listeners already know, but maybe we've got some people have different opinions or new listeners that may have to hear it. I, I just want to point out that it, uh, it's especially true in those counties that have uh, very few uh, sheriff deputies or officers on the road, but I don't, I don't care where you go. It could be New York, LA, Chicago, anywhere that has more police officers than anyone. Uh, I've been in law enforcement for a very long time 
90% of the time or more, we are reactionary. We we don't know when crimes are being committed unless we happen to walk up on them, which isn't uh, typically it's not going to happen because uh, criminals tend to not do things in front of the police. So you're on your own. You really are in those first few minutes or first few seconds of a crime. So if you're if you're relying on someone else to come swooping in when that deadly force encounter uh, potentially happens, it, it's n- most of the time it's not going to come down. So don't. I don't want anybody to hold on to those opinions or or say that well the police will protect me. Yeah, we're going to do our best, but it. I mean, we're minutes away, you know, at at best. Yeah, very very well said. You know, and that's that's kind of one of the things that you know the reason that I have you know the the license to carry here in Texas is just you know for that exact reason. I mean, it's not like someone's going to come up and you know uh, proclaim to the world, "Hey, I'm getting ready to commit a crime." So if you wanted to call the police now to give them time to get here, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, one thing that people wonder about is, is there still a reason to get a Texas license to carry? And yes, there is. If you want reciprocity with other states that don't have constitutional carry, but do have reciprocity with Texas, then you can still carry your concealed handgun in, in those states. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing to think about right there, because I guess if you're traveling to one of those states with a constitutional carry, they might not they might not allow out-of-staters to even constitutional carry. Is that is that like you were talking about, they removed that from Texas. So I guess that still could be an issue, yes? It could. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Well, in light of that, um, we've been working in the office over the last couple of days, and we have been designing a course for people who uh, want to constitutional carry. And this is um, – we already spoke to the, one of the guys that, that trains for the license to carry out here. He's willing to come out. And give a block of instruction, um, you know, about where you can carry and, and when you can carry and where you can't carry. But mainly it's going to be a very, very basic handgun course. Um, you know, of course, obviously safety, which we cover in every class, no matter what it is. And then it's, you know, cover the fundamentals of marksmanship. It will cover, you know, proper weapon manipulation, where's a good place to carry, the draw sequence, malfunction clearing, different things like that. So, uh, once this thing gets signed and we know it's going to go into law, we're going to drop those classes and we're going to start conducting them next fall. So I think that um, if you decide that you want a constitutional carry, it's like uh, Clint Smith, you know, always said, you know, possession does not equal competence. And uh, I don't think there's a, a time when that could be, you know, uh, more true, you know, his statement on that. Just because you own a gun doesn't mean you know how to use it, you know, in the situation. Uh, you know, Frank has always brought up the things, you know, you could take a average driver, but you put them in a NASCAR, and they're not going to be able to use that car to its potential. And so I think that I think if you're going to constitutional carry, seek out training. We're going to be conducting some here at Rifles Only. I think that's a great idea. One of the examples Clint Smith used all the time was just because you own a grand piano does not make you a concert pianist. Yeah, I, I remember him saying that too. You know, you know, every time he opens his mouth, it's like a truth bomb. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I've, 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 I don't know if I've seen any other thing. I'm sure there's other stuff, but firearms seems to be odd. Like, like he, like Lindy said, you can go buy a piano, you can go buy a guitar, you can go buy a race car, and you will seek out training, and and you know that you can't just uh, run with that. But firearms, for some reason, especially men, we feel like that we're we should naturally know how to shoot, or I'm I'm a man, I know how to use a, a, a weapon, but it's not instinctual at all. I mean, get training. No, you got to get training. Well, good, Lindy. I appreciate your thoughts on that, man. Let, can we back up a little bit, man? Lindy, who are you? Where were you born? What do you, what do, you do these days? Um, I was born in an Air Force family. My dad entered the 
at that time entered the army in 1939, prior to World War II. He was, uh, after he had graduated from Rice University, and he became an artillery officer. But when the Army Air Corps started ginning up, he applied for pilot training, was accepted and suffered a head injury in training and served throughout the war as a navigator bombardier. He flew, uh, he got an air medal for leading one of the longest B-24 missions into Japan during World War II and uh, stayed in the Air Force after the war. The Air Force sent him to law school. He retired in 1969 and began a civilian law practice. So I lived in a number of places, um, born in Washington, D.C., and, and lived in a number of places, including uh, Japan. Uh, I graduated from high school up in Illinois, spent four years at Southern Illinois University, uh, allegedly studying political science, but mostly drinking beer and chasing young ladies. Um, after I got through with that, I went into the Marine Corps for three years, got out of the Marine Corps and went back to the University of Texas and got degrees in computer science and electrical engineering. Uh, I retired from an electrical engineering career working on the global voice and data network of a small oil company called Texaco. And I didn't have to work anymore. And I was 52 years old. And I decided to kind of go back to my roots. I'd been a competitive small bore shooter in high school and uh, went to Thunder Ranch for a couple of pistol classes with Clint Smith and then got interested in long-distance precision shooting. And in October of 2003, I wound up down at your place taking a a train up for a match and uh, shot a couple of matches down there. And was talking to you one day, and I said, I'd like to see what your training is with the military and law enforcement people. And I'm retired. I'll come down and help you with a class. And that was that first NNSA class that I helped you with with in January of uh, 2004. And the rest, as they say, is history. You and I have now worked for something over 104 classes. (laughs) Wow. I did a little competitive shooting in there. Um, I managed to win your spring match in the spring of 2004, but I also competed fairly well in some other places, uh, like the Allegheny Sniper Challenge twice, um, Bill Davison's matchup at Tax Pro, and and a few others. But uh, my interest now is mostly how to teach the art of the precision rifle and not competition. And you do it quite well, my friend. Well, thank you. Very good, man. Very good. Well, listen, it, it has been it has been a real pleasure to work with you over this close to two decades. And uh, man, I've I've uh, I've you and I have had a lot of really good times out here. And, and you've uh, you've you've carried the weight for me in a couple of these uh, you know, a few of these classes. And I, I there's no way I can thank you enough. Well, it's been my pleasure working with you and uh, with your lovely wife. I appreciate that. All right. Well, since we have you here, I'm going to let David ask you some questions so we can dig into that big brain of yours. Okay. All right. So what do we want to start with some ballistic calculator stuff? Uh, it's up to you, brother. I know you got a couple of them. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll do that first. So, uh, Lindy, uh, I know you, I've read a couple articles. I know you're fairly familiar with that type of stuff or intimately familiar. Uh, for anybody that's listening out there, two questions. One, why why do we see uh, 
two different ballistic calculators possibly uh, with the same information might give you a slightly different answer? Well, uh, let me let me preface that comment mm-hmm. by giving the URL for my website. It's A R C A N A M A V E N S dot com, Arcana Maven. And if you look at that website, there's a page on there. The first page says Index to Technical Shooting Articles, and there's seven articles in there I've written about various aspects of shooting a precision rifle. The last one is entitled Sources of Inaccuracy in Ballistic Program. Mm-hmm. And it lists 16 different reasons why your ballistic program may be giving you an answer that's slightly incorrect. And down at the end of that, uh, it says that the true purpose of a ballistic program is to give you a shot to try under conditions that you don't normally shoot in. And there's so many different factors that run into a good ballistics program. And these days, there's a bunch of good ballistics programs. Mm -hmm. And they will all give you pretty good answers, but maybe not identical answers. Uh, One of the stories I like to tell about that is uh, uh, Jacob referred one of our students to me who was deployed very high and in a very cold place in the military service who needed a ballistic he needed a, an elevation to try. He was over 10,000 feet. He knew the barometric pressure, all of the stuff that, that he had, uh, that one needs in order to input data into a ballistic program. He said, I really need some help. And he told me what load he was shooting. And I gave him something to try based on the Sierra ballistics program that at that time ran only on a uh, a PC computer. And I got an email from him a couple of days later saying, thank you, that worked. But now we have all these ballistic programs on phones, and they're all pretty good. But again, the reason that at Rifles Only we harp so much on the fundamentals of marksmanship is that that answer may be slightly off. Mm-hmm. And that's why you need to be able to drive the rifle correctly so that you can see the results of your shot downrange and make a correction based on what you've seen. So go more more of that whole believe the bullet thing, right? Absolutely. But okay. I mean, if you think about it, just just to talk about one factor at all, which is your muzzle velocity, you're going to use a chronograph probably uh, to get an, an average muzzle velocity. And people look at a factor called standard deviation, which is the average variation of the shot string from what the av- average is. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is that the average standard deviation of a good load these days is about 10 feet per second. And that means that based on what the statistical figure of merit standard deviation means is that two-thirds of your actual rounds will be either... 10 feet per second above or 10 feet per second below what your average is, somewhere in that range. But a full third of those shots will be outside of that average range. Well, one of the great things you can do with a ballistic program is to experiment it, experiment with it and see 
how much of a difference something like that makes. For example, if the muzzle velocity of your 308 is 2,650 feet per second, put in instead of 2,650, put in 2,640 uh, and put in 2,660 and see how much difference that makes on a long shot, like a thousand yard shot. So ballistic program is a great tool for experimenting to see how much difference it makes. You can see how much difference the wind shift uh, mm-hmm. wind drift will be from a shot from one bullet to another. So it's a marvelous experimental tool to use for trying to see how much difference you might expect from one factor or another. Now, that's a really good point. Uh, going deeper into that, uh, I, it's one thing I've told people the same thing, experiment, because I see guys that, uh, you know, they get uh, discouraged. They're, they're trying to shoot, say, an MOA plate at a thousand yards, and then we dig into it deeper and we see what their SD is, and, and at time, you know, the ES, uh, lesser, uh, you know, it's still worth something. But we look at it, and w- we take their numbers, and we experiment with them, and look at it and go, look, you're barely inside that one MOA on average. You're, you're, sometimes your ammo is just not capable of hitting what you want to hit consistently at that distance. Well, you're exactly right. And one of the things people will do is they'll shoot a five-shot spring and look at the standard deviation and assume that it means something and it really doesn't. Uh, what you should be looking at when you're doing load development is the extreme spread of that load because that will really give you a better figure of, of merit than the standard deviation. There's a guy named Denton, uh, not Denton Bremwell. Uh, one, one of the links on my page is to a, uh, a page called Statistics Phonograph statistics for rifle shooters, and it points out that that you never really know what the standard deviation is with the load. It's basically a meaningless figure of merit. But extreme spread will give you a better indication of how good your load is, and more properly eliminate really bad loads. You never really know how good a load is using chronograph statistics, but if you have a a wide extreme spread then that tells you that you probably need to spend more time on load development that's perfect that's funny uh, i had actually told jacob before we talked i was going to bring up the uh, low uh, shot numbers that people use for uh, data or what they think is data or good data and also uh there's a i think it's precision rifle blog calzant he's got some stuff and it's basically he said the same thing i believe in his uh, in a few different studies people found that typically your es is somewhere around four and a half to six times your SD. So use those short shot strings to eliminate your bad loads. If you're going to take five shots and you, if, if that number holds true per se, if you're looking for a five E, I mean five SD, which is extremely good. Uh, anything you start seeing your ES over about 30, well, that load is, is not going to do it. Uh, and, and it's funny that you bring that up. Cause I just read that yesterday. The other, um, the other thing I wanted to point out and really hammer in that Lindy brought up that a pretty good load is a 10 SD. And I know there's going to be a lot of people sitting there going, oh, no, my SD is much lower than that. And I'm just going to tell you, 90, 90, 99% of the guys out there, your SD is not 3. It's not 5. It's closer to 10 if you have pretty good ammo. It's it, The amount of work that you have to put in to get a, a true 5 SD over you know, 30, 40, 50 shots, it's, it's a lot of work at the loading room. That's exactly right. And, and the, you know, the factory loads these days are so good that I don't even bother to reload anymore. Uh, I can't do in the factory people. They don't develop to 
uh, a velocity standard they developed to a pressure standard in, in the cartridge. And they can do that a lot better than I can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been messing with the, uh, the pressure tools that are available to uh, consumers right now. I mean, without getting specialized barrels and all brought in that you're just not going to, you're not going to be able to get the numbers or see the numbers they're seeing. Well, I think where that, I think where it becomes real important is, you know, like when Lindy's bringing up extreme spread and I've, I've always, I've always said this, you know, you can have an extreme, extreme spread of 30. Okay. And what you have to do is look at, okay, if I have, I go out and I chronograph, you know, 50 rounds and I come up with an extreme spread of 30. That means that it could be within, you know, 30 feet of or 30 feet per second in there. And so then it becomes a calculation of the nature of the target mm-hmm. because the target out there is smaller. I mean, if you if you're at the top end of the 30 or the bottom end of the 30 and you're at a distance to where it actually makes a difference in how much you adjust, you have to kind of decide, you know, do I take that shot? I'm talking like long range hunting. Yeah. You know, do I take that shot? Is it an ethical shot? Because if I have a kill zone of 12 inches on a, on a big claims game animal, then, you know, I need to know how far can I actually just ammunition wise, how far can I actually go and still hit in that kill zone? And then all the other factors have to come into it too. You know, how much rest do I have? Uh, what kind of rest am I using for my rifle? Um, am I stable? What, how much am I wobbling? You know, if I'm wobbling, you know, because I'm on, you know, a rest that's not exactly stable and you add that, on top of, you know, your extreme spread, you know, from one bullet to the next, you know, you could come out and say, okay, well, normally out on a, on a range where I've had plenty of sleep and I'm not dehydrated and I haven't had to carry 30 pounds or 40 pounds or 50 pounds of crap on my back, you know, okay, yeah, I can, I can make this work, you know, pretty, pretty consistently. But then whenever you start to add the other factors in, it, it kind of, it kind of becomes a no shoot. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. right. A really, Go ahead, Lynn. a really smart guy named Al Nihus once said, that the amount of accuracy you need is a function of the relative size of your target. And that's exactly right. And that's why I said you can use those ballistic programs to see what size targets you can realistically shoot at a given range. Uh, yeah, David Tubb, I think we can all agree he, he shoots fairly fairly decent. And uh, he when he's doing his ELR stuff, he keeps a, a chrono, a magneto, uh, right there on it. He, he has a, a mount for it, and he shoots with it the whole time. That way, he if, if a round runs high or low, he looks over at his number, and he immediately knows whether it was him or it was the ES or the, uh, the, the velocity that, that messed that shot up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> and you're right. He does know his way around a rifle, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. I think I was going to ask Lindy what he thought about three and five shot groups, but I think we've, uh, he's already given us opinion on <laughs> yeah. that. Um, the other, that, that was another thing. Wait, just to clarify, a lot of our guy, listeners out there, they shoot, uh, PRS, uh, sniper challenges, stuff like that. Do all this stuff that Lindy, Jacob and I have been talking about. If you haven't already put those numbers into your calculator and you're going to find out for what we're doing, um, Keep it in context. We're not shooting bench rest or you know one thousand or f one thousand f open at an MOA. We're shooting fairly generous size, depending on the wobble zone and all that. And realize that some, you may be wasting. I don't want to say wasting if you really enjoy spending a lot of time at the uh, at the bench. But if you're giving up time at the range to spend at the bench to chase a three SD, uh, run that stuff through your calculator, and you'll find out we don't need that for most of what we're doing. 
Yeah, I agree. And that, that's the other thing too, you know, that the SD number always comes up and, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of chuckle whenever, you know, someone has a five round string and they show their SD number. I'm like, man, that's just not enough points. You know, that's not enough, that's not enough data, you know, to get a good standard deviation. It, it takes a lot of data to get a good standard deviation. Oh yeah. Well, and then one more, I don't know, uh, if, if this is outside of, uh, uh, your realm, let me know, Lindy, we'll, touch on another day so it just came up on the hide because i still read that uh the drama that goes on there somebody asked a question about velocity flat spots and what they're what some people are saying is that they can increase the charge weight you know two tenths three tenths of a grain whatever and they still are getting they're getting similar velocity now granted they're only doing one shot or three shots or whatever i don't know how much load development you've done in the past or whatever but do you see i don't see that I, when I, if I, well, until you get to the top, whether it's pressure and out, that's a different story. But as you're loading up, so you're going from 30 grains to 34 grains, there's guys out there that are saying that they consistently, or they claim that they consistently see uh, the same velocity from a higher charge weight. That just doesn't sound right to me. Uh, I'd be skeptical of that. Mm -hmm. There's so many factors that people do not take into account in what they're doing. Uh, I mentioned my webpage with mm -hmm. 16 different reasons on, on there. Uh, a guy named Denton Bramwell, his last name is spelled B-R-A-M-W-E-L-L, -L, and you can, you can Google him and find some interesting stuff. And he, one of the things that Denton said, if you're, you know, people take powder, uh, powder temperature mm -hmm. into account when they're doing things, but Denton did some experiments and he says, if you're not taking the barrel temperature, into account as well. You're wasting your time looking at the powder temperature. So there's so many different factors in there that I think a lot of time people just wind up chasing their tail in a in a figurative sense. Oh, I agree. And I will uh, in the description, guys, uh, for the podcast, uh, we'll put up a link to Lindy's site there, and you can uh, research your heart out and 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 read all that. Could that be the thing that we talked about in the past, though, is like they're going up on that charge weight, but essentially that extra that they're putting in there is being burned outside the barrel? Could that be a cause of it? Well, I see it at uh, most of the time when I see quote unquote flat spots, I see it. I think, yes, yeah, it, it kind of hand in hand is once you get to the you're starting to get to that max case fill or that where you're starting to uh, hit pressure signs. And what a lot of people don't realize is they're looking for sometimes they're not seeing the, the right pressure signs. Uh, they don't. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe maybe for whatever reason they missed seeing that ejector swipe, or uh, they waited until they had a, a heavy bolt lift or a click, which is uh, well into to pressure. And what I see is it starts once you start getting to that top end. Uh, I don't know the technical term for it, but it's more of a diminishing return. You're gonna start. You just can't get but so much speed out of that before you start having issues. And that's where I start seeing it. But I don't see it. You know, halfway through the powder column consistently like i i don't i don't go and shoot uh, one or three shots and look and go oh that charge weight and that charge weight had a very uh, close velocity you know they were almost the same velocity because that's just not how it works uh, physically speaking now i now if you want to go out and shoot at 600 yards a thousand yards and look at the uh vertical spread and you start talking about positive compensation that's on an entirely different topic and not velocity related but people do mistake that for velocity Awesome. So, uh, Jacob, you did a series of experiments or an experiment 
many years ago, I think where you started with a 36 inch barrel and then just started cutting it off an inch at a time to see what kind of results you got. You might describe that experiment. Yeah, that was, um, that was, uh, that was something Bartlett had cut it. It was actually a 38 inch and, um, we had put it on my accuracy international and we were trying, uh, three different, three different types of 308, uh, load. And what was going on was our, whenever we were out at 38 inches, what happened was the velocities were down in the low 2000, like 2200. 20, and we got backed up into like that, um, 33, uh, like 29, 33 inches. And it was up, you know, really high, like near, near 3000 feet, 308. And then we got to the point after that, we started to be able to judge every inch, how much we were losing in velocity. And it was pretty consistent across, across all three ammos. We had a, a civilian ammo, a hunting ammo, and then a military ammo that we were using. And so it was one of those things to where it kind of got back to that point to where, you know, that, you know, 26, 75 Sierra, you know, that was the, you know, which is essentially a 24 inch barrel. And so that was, that was kind of the, the sweet spot between, you know, being able to have a weapon that against, you know, what, what you were losing in velocity. So yeah, that, that did happen. Yeah. One thing to point out, since we have a lot of listeners that, uh, shoot, uh, rimfire is, uh, uh same idea. If you, once you get past about 22 inches, the, ex, uh, most people have done experiments show it's a pot. It doesn't happen with every barrel. It's barrel dependent, but once you get past about 22 inches, you can actually start see a velocity slowdown because now, now you're fighting against too much friction. It's just, uh, or, or more than what the powder, the pressure behind it's going to do that. So just know that if you start going above 22 inches, especially you get up around 26, 27, a lot of bench rest guys use it because they don't need that extra velocity past that 50 or hundred yards. But for our purposes, shooting three, two, three, 400 yards, uh, be careful with getting that barrel too long. You may actually see a, a velocity decay. Yeah. And I, it's a dragon inside the barrel. Yeah. And, uh, Let's just back up one second. Did uh, the uh, you said you had somebody that uh, called in or, or emailed you about the spin drift? And I know everybody's been probably wondering. And as soon as they hear you say that they observed it, did they uh, did they say how much they observed at four hundred yards? Point four. Point four. There you go. So there's a number for people to look at. A you know about point four at four hundred yards. Yeah. Well, that was four hundred and forty yards. Okay. Four and, uh, and we'll be or testing of my that but you know that you know the 22 equivalent mile so you know that's where we would see it so i guess we'll we'll go hey lindy what are a couple of those what are a couple of the have listed in there um a couple more reasons for the uh, ballistic inaccuracies um well okay there's a there's a whole list of them one of we don't see so much anymore was uncalibrated scope clicks Mm -hmm. um the the old, uh, the original loopholes that said they were uh, minute of angle clicks or actually quarter minute of angle clicks weren't actually a quarter minute of angle. They were actually one inch per hundred yards or a quarter inch per hundred yards. Uh, we've already mentioned the normal variations in muzzle velocity. You also get temperature variations in, in muzzle velocity. Uh, the, the worst load that I ever tested that way was the old military 300 Win Mag A191 load, which was five B 
feet per second per degree Fahrenheit of temperature change. And these days, the powders are so much more stable. The uh, 220 grain, 300 wind mag load that the military spec was specced at 0.2 feet per second per degree Fahrenheit. When I saw that spec, I thought, that's ridiculous. They'll never satisfy that. But they did. But they won't tell you how. Mm-hmm. Um, another another problem, not I know so how. much on. Go ahead. They, did, they didn't use an FM, and you know what that is. And the thing about it is, you've seen all this lately. They're coming out with all this, you know, we're seeing aliens and everything else. That's how they did it. <laughs> alien technology. <laughs> um, I can't even on the news now without hearing some other report of, you know, coming from the government of, you know, military and UFO stuff. So they're finally letting it out, man. They used FM. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, another one that you see a lot is range uncertainty. You don't see it at much on rifles only because our targets are pretty precisely measured. But, you know, on a thousand yard shot, if you have a 20, uh, 20 foot ranger on a 10 inch target, you're probably going to miss the target. Uh, and you know, you get, you get other factors in there. If a shot is slightly up or slightly down, you may see a difference. And then there's shooter variables. I mean, uh, uh, Jacob talks all the time about the experiment that, that we did just in breathing variations on a 700-yard uh, shot. So, you know, you you can't take what that ballistic program takes you as gospel and and believe, believe you got to believe the bullet. Yeah. Uh, it all goes down to that. One thing that I just, it just hit me right there and, uh, uh, I think Lindy and I were actually at rifles only one time when somebody was doing this. Just uh, let's clear the air or let Lindy clear the air on it. Uh, I've seen guys, uh, you know, we set them up for to do a zero before a match. And they're sitting there going, looking for exactly 100 yards, not 99, not 101. Uh, how close do you have to be to 100 yards for your zero to be good, Lindy? Not very. Um, I, did, I did a calculation uh, shooting a 308. And if you actually have a 100-yard zero on a 308, and I mean 100 to within, you know, inches, the trajectory of a 175 at 2650 is essentially flat within a tenth of an inch from 108 yards uh, to 70 yards from the muzzle. So, it, you know, it really makes no difference. All right. Well, there goes that excuse. If you zeroed at 98 <laughs> yards and you missed that uh, target, uh, that was not the zero's fault. Well, it's not. And I once started back when I was still foolish enough to waste my time on certain websites. I started a huge pie fight by asking people if they knew what range they were really zeroing at. <laughs> I probably should be ashamed of having done that, but I'm really not. <laughs> oh, well, no, you know, that one, that one, but whenever we're out here and we're shooting the mousetrap, you know, because it's, it's side a hundred yards. And so people start to say, okay, well, you know, I need to I need to hold low. I said, well, if it's inside 100 yards, you got that backwards. But we can talk about that in class. Then um, you said, if you want to do something, you know, if you if you think you're going to have something, okay, aim at the top of the target. But it's not going to matter because if you aim in the center, you're going to hit it. It's 73 yards. You know, it's 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 right there. It's not it's not going to affect your 100 yard zero at all. Um, but then again, you know, we have we have done some wacky stuff. We've made you know the 11 foot one inch shot, and, um, and of course there's there's direction on that. Uh, but it becomes a mechanical offset thing. But yeah, if I if I'm out there, it, I get a place where I can 
I can zero and there's a there's a drier place on the ground that I can lay down that's at 103. I don't care. Yeah, I'm saying one, that 11, 11 foot one inch shot was really funny because guys crawled into their ballistic programs and their heads trying to figure out how to dial their scope for that shot. And Terry Cross made the shot like he made everything. But somebody asked him, how did you do that? And he said, I just slided down alongside the barrel. Yeah, worked pretty good. Yeah, at that point, it's worked. just, it's just uh, point blank. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Lindy, man, I appreciate that. I got, I got a question for you, Lindy. Um, give me a couple of the most interesting times you've had here at Rifles Only over all these years. Oh, um, are you talking about specific times or specific kinds of classes? No, nah, just just something that stands out in your head. Uh, really good moment, really bad moment. I don't care. Just just what's what's a memory of Rifles Only that you have after doing this many classes with me? Oh boy, that's tough. You should have given me some advance notice of that so that I could I could think about it. But actually, the best times I've had at rifles only have been at the rifles only matches, without yeah. question. Because that you know we we've been doing that match well as long as I've been there. This year was the first one that I missed because of the winter storm. But right. for for sixteen years in a row. It was a gathering of some of the best precision rifle shooters in the world, much less in the nation or, or the state. And it's just it's just like one big party for two days or however long the, the match lasts. And I don't know that I've ever really had a bad time down there. The weather has gotten pretty bad sometime. During one of the matches, we had to suspend because of lightning um you know when you're almost at the highest point of Clayburn county standing out in the rain holding a metal object is probably not the smartest thing you can do but yeah never really had a a bad time down there yeah you can ask the tower about that <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a lot of metal at the highest point in Clayburn county and it 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 takes it takes lightning strikes almost every thunderstorm so yeah, that that's you're right. I don't want to be carrying the carrying a rifle around. I got got a little bit of tingled and almost shocked whenever I was doing a course up at Matt Clem's place in Western Oklahoma, and I said, "Yeah, that's enough. I'm 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 pretty much afraid of the lightning now." I think it's perfectly rational to be afraid of things that can kill you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with that one. I'm not gonna argue with that one. Well, cool, man. Well, Lindy, thank you for uh for um uh being on the podcast with us i appreciate it my pleasure jacob anytime okay. cool man we got a couple other things that i uh, want to just you know go back and cover again uh keep in keep in uh keep an eye out on the rifles only website for the constitutional carry classes again it's just basically a, a just a very very simple basic handgun class um uh we still have lots in our 22 classes that are up in june in colorado so uh, give us a give us a look if y'all are in the in the Colorado area or anywhere around that that part of the mountains. Y'all want to come and take a class out there? Um, that's the last thing I had here, and I just had to decline a call from Kalen because I called him earlier. But I was listening to uh, Kalen and Phil's podcast, a Modern Day Sniper, and uh, they had they had uh, David Baker from from uh, the Just Send It podcast, and so it was one of the things I spoke to David a little bit more about it. 
And uh, I'm going to get a chance to talk with Kalen and Phil because they're going to be down here doing a couple of their classes, rifles only in December. But it's floated that what we do is have a competition with all of the people from the podcast, the Step and Send It, Everyday Sniper with Frank Galley, Modern Day Sniper with Philip and and, uh, and Kalen, and then uh, the Rifles Only Accuracy podcast down here. So some details are going to be forthcoming on doing a competition down here with all the podcasters that are here. And then at the end, uh, just get everybody on a, on a really big podcast and, and talk about whatever we want to do. But that was David Baker's idea. Um, I've been on his podcast. If you're not, if you're not a subscriber to any of those that I just mentioned, I, I would recommend doing it. Uh, David said that, you know, today I was listening to him on, uh, on Phil's and, and Kalen's and he says, you can come on my podcast and talk about anything. He says, I'll talk about politics or UFOs. <laughs> so hold into that because I'm definitely going to get on his podcast and talk about UFOs or bring him on this podcast and talk about UFOs. But we're probably going to try to plan uh, a get-together uh, competition, um, you know, a fun roundtable. Maybe we'll do it as a, as a fundraiser. Who knows? But hopefully we'll get that done. I just want to put that out there for you guys to be to be looking at. David, you got anything else? Uh, no. Uh, well, I say no, but I got a couple things. Just uh, remember, uh, we're going to be in Minnesota in August. I think there's still a few spots open for the uh, the class after the King of Point Two Eight Mile, uh, there is yeah, there's lots open. Yeah, so get in on that. That'll be a good time. Uh, regardless if you can do the class or not, get up there and support Brian Autry. That match is awesome. And now it's it's not really a man. Now it's all but basically a week and a half long event at this point. Uh, yeah. Get up there and support him. He does great stuff. That's going to be a really fun match. I think he's. I mean, he's expecting a hundred people maybe. Or more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got the classes in June. Uh, the other thing, just uh, check out anybody that supports uh, the rifle community. The ones I could think of right off the top of my head, Fix It Sticks. Uh, they they're awesome. You can buy them at riflesonly.com. Uh, if you don't have a set of Fix It Sticks, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, you know, you got Grind Ops Coffee. They donated some stuff to our last match. Uh, they're down here in McAllen, and they're law enforcement owned and, and starting to get spread out everywhere. I think uh, Suppressed Tactical Solutions down there is carrying them now. Uh, EricCortina.com for the guys that are interested in his stuff. He's got some pretty good videos that might interest people. And, uh, you know, if you're into tuners and that sort of thing, he sells those. Uh, who else do we have? Um, well, we've got, we got, uh, got Voodoo on board with us for the for the mm -hmm. Academy as well as Bullpoles, uh, Thunder Beast, you know, all those guys out there that make really good products. Yep. Yeah, Macpool, Macpool. So keep those guys in mind. Um, you know, whenever you need anything, I, mean, I always like to say that whenever we have a prize table at Rifles Only, it's like a person could walk into the prize table and completely outfit themselves with everything that's needed just by the sponsors. You know, they're, they're all represented, and so that's a that's a really good. We always have you know list our sponsors and on um, for all of our competitions and everything on the website. So you know, just keep in mind those guys. We bad Armageddon gear. Um, and just keep us in mind on that. But we really appreciate you guys listening. Again, uh, one, just one more shout-out to Frank and uh, Philip and Kalen and, and David. And uh, we're, we're going to put together an event. We're going to put together an event for that. So y'all keep your eyes open for that. We'll talk about it more on the podcast. And we'll probably all get together and do one and, and uh, talk about it more. But we appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for it. All right. We'll see you next week. Take care.